I'll tell you what, I love Joe McKean. I love, don't you love him? Um, you know, when I, when I think about the reality of our spiritual battle that we're in, because we're in a spiritual battle, I would much rather run into the spiritual battle with passionate people than those you have to wake up, <laughs> you know? Uh, we're in a spiritual battle, and, and I love being in the middle of it. And, and you know, we're called to be in the middle of this spiritual battle. I want you to notice something in, our, in your worship guide. It's been there the entire month of December, and it, and it has to do with our World Missions Month. And um, we're, we're passionate about missions here in the life of our church, so much so that, that we sacrifice to get the gospel all over the world. Do you realize that just our regular offering, um, that, that 10% of our regular offering we, we set aside to go away. Uh, 6% of that goes to what we call the cooperative program, that we cooperate with Southern Baptists all over the, all over the nation. And, and we fund things like um, um, uh, the IMB, the International Mission Board, which is what I get to serve on right now. And I, I started last September, and, man, it is, it's winding my watch to, to, to be a part of these missionaries and seeing these young men and women who are going, going all over the world to share the gospel, and we fund them, uh, and we fund them well. And, uh, and 6%, of, I mean, the cooperative program goes to fund that. It goes to fund disaster relief. It goes to fund all kinds of great work that we are a part of all over our, our state and, and our nation and our world. But, but we set aside in December the World Missions Offering, and, and, and I want to encourage you to pray about what you would give to missions. Because I'll tell you, we, um, like, like Joe just wrote that song, and you got that, he wrote that song, uh, and, and, um, and I love it that, that we're to be the light of the world, and we're to go share the gospel with the world, and, 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 and we've been given so very much. And so I want to I ask you to pray about your, your, your missions. We, we divide our world missions offering into three offerings, the Edna McMillan offering, which is about missions around Oklahoma, the, the Annie Armstrong offering, which goes to missions all over the United States, and then Lottie Moon. Uh, Lottie Moon is our uh, world missions offering that goes to support the IMB. And, uh, and you may see Lottie hanging around the church every once in a while because we've got this really cheesy staff prize that I, I came up with. It's really cheesy, but it's really kind of fun. Um, so you may see Lottie around. So her life-size picture, so just look for that. But, um, uh, but you know, everything's good with a little cheese on it. That's what I tell my staff. So, um, but I'm grateful to be a part of missions. Um, this morning, we're going to continue this, putting this puzzle together of, of Christmas. And it's my prayer that we understand the magnificent picture that God brought together as he came into the world. Have you, you know... A lot of you uh, have can point to moments in your life when you watched history unfold. I mean, I remember on January 28, 1986, I was at Moore Central Mid-High, sitting in a classroom. I think it was, I think it was my um, civics class, maybe. And, and we've got a television on, and we're watching the Space Shuttle Challenger take off. And 
right in front of my class, we're all sitting there, and all of a sudden, there was a teacher on there, and so our teachers were like, hey, let's watch this. And, and at more central mid-high, that shuttle exploded right in front of our eyes. And we were like, oh my goodness, I don't think that was supposed to happen. But we were watching history unfold right in front of our eyes. I, I remember on April 19th, 1995, that was a day that uh, I was driving in Aid, Oklahoma. I had just graduated from college, and I had... I, Robin and I were at our first church in Aid, Oklahoma. I was a youth minister. And I'm driving back to church, and, and my radio's on, and, and it interrupted the programming and said there's been an explosion in downtown Oklahoma City. And I was thinking, oh, my goodness, what an explosion. I wonder what that was about. We get back to the, I get back to the office. Uh, the TVs are on at our office, and we're watching helicopters fly over Oklahoma City, downtown Oklahoma City. And then very quickly, I get a phone call from Robin that her uncle was in the building. And then I get a phone call from my mom that my uncle, Paul, was in the building. And, and then I get a call from my brother that uh, 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 one of his youth workers, were, were, she's missing. And, and then I get a call from Council Road that that. Mickey Maroney is, is missing, and, and we can't uh, find him. And, um, you know, two people that I knew well were killed in that blast. My, our uncle survived. Robin's uncle and my uncle both walked out of the building. But right there, we're watching history unfold. I remember um, 9-11 when um, I, got this, I got to church early that, that morning. We had staff meeting. I'd finished a report that I had just written at Council Road. I was, I was writing a report to present at staff meeting that day to take 35 teenagers to Nicaragua. We were going to get on a plane to Nicaragua. And then all of a sudden, we see, okay, wait, something's going on. And, and we get televisions, and our whole staff meeting completely changed as we watched those buildings fall. And right in front of our eyes, I'm witnessing history unfold. Well, isn't it, many of you know that. You've been there. You, you've been in those moments. You, some of you, I can see on your face, oh, I remember that. I remember that. I remember that. I remember where I was. But, but sometimes when history is unfolding right before your eyes, it takes you a minute to recognize that, whoa, whoa, this is a big moment. And, and it's almost like you have to process that I'm witnessing this moment. Okay, well, that was the moment that Jesus came. These people are witnessing these things take place, and, and they're like, wait a minute, is this really happening? Oh my goodness, this is like taking place right in front of my eyes. And, and that's why it's, we look at, at, at those moments in American history, in our recent history, and we can say, man, those are big moments. But when you look at this moment that Jesus entered the world, this was by far the focal point of human history. This is by far the most significant moment in the world that, that everybody prior to Jesus' coming were looking forward that said one day a Messiah was going to come. Now we all the time, every week, we look backwards at that moment saying, look, a Messiah came, Jesus came, and now he's in our hearts and he's in our lives and, and he's leading us. And, and we look back on that moment as the most important moment in human history. Galatians 4, 4 and 5. Turn there real quick. We've done it every week. And next week we're going to be our 
or last week, we're going to unpack that passage, but this is the diving board, the springboard into this series where, where we look at what Paul wrote to Galatians where he says, but when the fullness of time had come, what did God do? That, like Chad mentioned earlier, that pleroma, that totality, that perfect moment, it was, it was exactly laid out just as God intended. And, and when the fullness of time had come, what happened? God sent his son, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Now, you know, we've looked over the last several weeks how when, when Jesus entered human history, it was a perfect time because it was perfectly predicted. These prophets, they, they shot these arrows of, of wisdom and prophecy that, that went through history, and they all landed on Jesus. It's amazing that, that the, the statistical analysis, I'm not a math guy, but some of you are, but do the statistics of these, these prophecies all matching Jesus. I mean, that's crazy. And, and these prophets from these different time periods get these words, and Jesus fulfilled every one of those prophecies. It was perfectly predicted. It was, it was perfectly planned. As, as Malachi predicts that this prophet, that this forerunner is going to come, John the Baptist is going to come, and, and it was this plan of this forerunner is going to come and prepare the way for Jesus. And, 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 and then it was perfectly executed. It just happened exactly. The providence of God, like we looked at last week, unfolded, and, and it was incredible as, as this intertestamental period that, that God was at work through, through these leaders and these military leaders, these philosophers, and all these things came together, and boom, first century, Jesus came. It was perfectly executed. But then as you look at how God executed this plan, you know, it was, it was truly incredible, now, like Joe said this morning when he, he went to Israel, I, w- I went to Israel in June. It was incredible. I, and it was such an incredible moment to walk around Israel and think about, man, Jesus hung, ar- hung around here. I mean, I went jogging every day in Jerusalem, and I went through this little valley, and I'm thinking, man, David's fighting men ran around here. I wonder if they ran on this trail and probably faster than I was running. But, 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 you know, it was so incredible to look at this. I remember one moment, and we were overlooking the Jezreel Valley. And we're standing on this hill, and this guy said, yeah, Solomon built that column and that wall right there. I'm like, seriously? Solomon built that? And, and, and you know, when you look at ancient man, we have, a, we have a tendency to look at those in ancient times and think, man, they weren't as educated as we are. They weren't as smart as we are. Let me tell you something. Ancient man was pretty smart. They understood geometry. They understood uh, philosophy. They understood some things in theology. I mean, I guarantee you the, their architecture, uh, my house will not be standing 500 years from now. There's no way. And Solomon built something that's still standing. Okay, that's, those guys knew some stuff. And so we've got to realize, sometimes we look back at ancient man and go, yeah, they didn't know very much. No, they knew a lot. They were pretty smart. They knew things. They knew about the human body. They knew biology, right? They understood where babies came from. This wasn't like, oh, wow, I've never figured that out. No, Joseph understood where babies came from. And that's why when Mary comes to him and says, uh, can we talk? 
um, I'm going to have a baby. Can you imagine that moment of jo- if you're Joseph? You're like, okay, um, I'm not him. I'm not the daddy. Who's the father? Oh, well, God is. Okay. Okay, Mary, I may have been born at night, but not last night, right? Okay, Mary, you're, you're, with, you're pregnant. You're going to have a baby. What? Can you imagine Mary wrestling with this going, okay, Lord, you have come to me and told me this news, but somebody's got to tell Joseph. And Mary knows I got to tell Joseph. Mary told Joseph before God told Joseph. We know that because Matthew 1, turn there, Matthew chapter 1. This is an incredible moment. I mean, I want us to imagine that conversation that that the, the, I want us to feel what Joseph would feel as, as you're in, he's engaged to be married to this, this lady that he, he loved. He loved her. You know, they were arranged marriages and all this, but, but, but I'll tell you, Joseph was, was a good man. He was a, he was a common man. He was a, a, I mean, probably like most of us feel, we're not super special. I mean, we have some gifts and abilities, and we can do some things. I mean, Billy, you can play baseball, and we can, I can play some tennis, and, you know, Brandon, you're a great lawyer and really smart and numbers guy, and we got some abilities, but we kind of feel normal, right? Joseph is like, okay, um, you're, you're, you're pregnant, Mary? I'm having a hard time with this. Let's stand together and let's read what he said. Now, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, And unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, as did he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, he took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. you. May be seated now. Now we see in this passage. Look at it. Let's look at it for a second. Joseph was—he was a good man. He loved Mary. Verse eighteen. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way: when his mother Mary had been betrothed. That's basically they were engaged. They so in Jewish culture they were considered already married, even though they didn't live together. They, it was it was a it was a done deal. I mean, it's 
you know, it's a little different than our culture today, but, but you know, like when I asked Robin to marry me, I gave her a ring and I, you know, had this really cool story of how I proposed to her. I don't have time to tell you that now, but it's really cool. And I videoed it and I lied to her and she bought it and it was really fun. And, uh, and she said yes. You know, in that, in that time, I, I would expect her not to get pregnant. That would be great, right? You know? <laughs> and, and, you know, this Joseph loved her. But, but look, he, he points out, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, this is hard to believe. This would be hard to believe as a, I mean, fellas, that'd be hard to believe, right? You'd be like, um, I don't think so. But look what happened. Um, look at Joseph. You, you see this about him. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. I love this about Joseph. We don't know much about Joseph, but... But the fact that he had to have been deeply hurt, he had to have been devastated, frustrated, angry. I mean, I bet Joseph, I mean, I bet he was pretty stout. I bet he's like, I want to punch somebody in the face. I mean, I would. I mean, I bet Joseph could hit harder than I could. Uh, Though my forehand's decent, I think he was strong. And yet, Joseph was like, I loved her. I love her. And I, I can't be with her. I can't follow through with this. I, I'm so hurt, but I'm going to divorce her quietly. I'm not going to put her to shame. And, and, you know, Deuteronomy chapter 22 talks about divorce in that culture was a pretty big deal. In Jewish culture, I mean, you could be killed for, for, for excuse me, adultery. You could be killed for adultery, Deuteronomy 22. And... Um, Joseph's like, I'm not going to put her to shame. Not going to do it. But look at what God did. Verse 20. But as he considered these things. So, he's, you, so you think about that, that. We sometimes read over that. He's considering these things. I bet he can't get this off his mind. I bet he can't sleep at night. I bet he can't eat. I bet he's like, I got to go work. I got to go, go build something. I got to go break something, you know? I mean, he was a, worked with stone and wood. I bet he's like, I got to go, give me my hammer. I got to go burn off some steam. He's considering these things. And all of a sudden, I bet, he, I bet he was exhausted. I bet he hits his pillow in and out of sleep. But all of a sudden, look at this. The Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So Joseph's like, okay, Mary's not lying to you, Joseph. I, I bet Mary's like, Joseph, I'm pregnant, but I haven't been unfaithful to you. I don't know how to explain it. I haven't been unfaithful to you, Joseph. But yet, he had to have not believed her. But then God comes to him and says, look, she's telling you the truth. Verse 21, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Look at this. For he will save his people 
from their sins. You see, right here from the beginning, the angel is clear that, that Jesus knew who the real enemy was. You know, the, Roman, the, the Jews, they thought, man, the Romans are bad. The Romans are the ones who are oppressing us. But, but God knew, no, you know, the greatest problem we have is our sin because what does sin lead to? Sin leads to death. Sin leads to eternal separation from God. And, and God was very faithful to say to Joseph, look, he's going to save people from their sins. I love that. And he says, and all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, you know what? We live in this sophisticated society that looks at us and goes, do you really believe in that virgin birth? Do you really believe that, are you one of those people that believe in a virgin birth? How could that happen? That's crazy. You're not one of those people, are you? And we absolutely are. And can I tell you, we absolutely must be one of those people who hold to this idea of a virgin birth, this promise of a virgin birth. And I think about this dream that, that what, what the angel said, verse 24, when Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she'd given birth to his son, and he called his name Jesus. And this means Savior. It, it means that, that he was the Christ, the Messiah that was come. And, and I can imagine G, Joseph and Mary going, oh my goodness, we're watching history unfold right in front of our eyes, and it's us. And it doesn't make sense because we're normal, we're common, we're not, we don't have a lot of money, we're humble, we, we, don't, we have humble means, we don't have, and we're the ones, we're from Nazareth, we're going we're gonna to have the Savior in our home? And, and I think about Joseph and Mary. And this incredible revelation of God that a virgin was going to give birth to a son. Now, why is this important? Point number one, and I want you to see this, because God is, God is revealing himself to us. God is teaching us something very important. And this virgin birth is a, is a truth that we've got to understand. So what does this say, this idea of a virgin birth? Point number one, it's this, is that Jesus existed before his conception and his birth. Now, we know that. You know that, right? That, that when Jesus was born of a woman, that wasn't the beginning of his existence. See, God is eternal. Now, this is difficult for us because we are finite. We have finite minds, and our finite minds are trying to grasp the infinite, and that is very difficult. This is why we worship God. This is why we go, Lord, you are bigger than we can understand, but yet God in his bigness and in his amazing power and in his indescribable glory, his indescribable being has revealed himself to us. And, and it's amazing what he did. And, and, and we see in John 1.14, a really cool passage. It says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as, the, as, as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And John 1 is a very important passage as John reveals this truth that Jesus existed before time began. And this is crazy. It's an amazing truth that, that the true identity of Jesus, do you know where it extends? It extends into eternity. And this is amazing. 
And, and, I don't, and, and this is a truth that we've got to understand. The virgin birth speaks to this. That, 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 and, 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 you know, when I think about how God has revealed himself, he's chosen to reveal himself in general ways and specific ways. And through this general revelation, I mean, we can look at creation and recognize, God, you are real. And, and, and you know, it, it, any intellectual thinking person can recognize, and I've been to enough July 4th celebrations when I've blown stuff up with fireworks that I've, I've never exploded anything and said, oh, look how it came down in an orderly way. Wow, that's neat. No, no, there's never been an explosion that has taken place that has resulted in order. So any thinking person can recognize there is a creator of the world. There is a creator outside of creation that has made what we see. Generally, God has revealed himself to us, but do you know that God has specifically revealed himself to us? He, he spoke to this people group, this small group of people, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and, and he followed this family as they, he blessed them, and they multiplied, and, and he called them his people, and they were called to be the priest nation to the world, and, and then he moved in them, and then God blessed them. He sent these prophets from them that said a Messiah, a Savior was going to come. And then guess what? He came. And God revealed himself in specific ways. And, and you know the, that, that idea of God entering human history as, as revealing himself, it's called the incarnation. That's a very important word that you need to understand and we need to process and think about and learn. The incarnation is describes the act of God becoming flesh. He is incarnation. He is in the flesh. God was born in a miraculous way. And then, and you know what's, what's cool about the incarnation? Because all through history, mankind has contemplated God and thought about God and thought, God, are you real? Where are you? Who are you? And God chose to reveal himself to us. And the incarnation is so magnificent because it means that knowing God is no longer a guessing game for us. And I want to stand before you today and be before you today and help you see that knowing God is no longer a guessing game for you that you can know who he is and what he's like because God came in the flesh to show us who he is and what he's done for us and how he can be in your life. And it breaks my heart because as I look at our modern culture and Christmas has become so interesting to me. Schools are becoming, hey, we can't say the name Jesus. And, and we're getting so more and more secular with our Christmas. And, and you know, we're not going to, we, we don't want to offend anybody saying that Jesus is the only way. Well, let me tell you something. There was only one virgin birth. And it was a big deal. And it was God helping the world see you no longer have to guess about the Father, who God is, because God came in the flesh to show us. Now, when you think about the virgin birth, and let's, point number two is this. I only have two points today, I think, even though I probably have more than that, but it makes me feel better that I only have two. But the virgin birth was a significant part of God's redeeming plan. And I want you to, I pray that we in our church, I want you to know where we stand. We believe the virgin birth is an absolute truth. It is a reality. It was, an, it, was a, it was a moment in history that Jesus came in a miraculous way. And I'll tell you what, 
it says so much. The virgin birth says so much and why it's important. What does it say? What does it say that Jesus came as a virgin and born as as a virgin? It it tells us this, that the salvation comes from the Lord, not man's effort. And you know that, right? That our salvation is, is not your own effort. That, that we live in this world that is trying so hard to get to heaven on their own. They're trying to be good enough. They're trying to work hard enough. And, and we see this as we go on mission trips. We see these, these people on a pilgrimage paying tribute to a doll in Mexico. We, we interact with our Mormon friends that really are trying to, to earn their way to heaven, and that's impossible. We, we, we interact with people around the world who are, who are trying to, to, to get enough, like work on their karma so they can come back. And and the reality is God has revealed himself to us when he entered human history. And and he's taught us that salvation is not something you can achieve on your own. And we see what Paul said in in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It says, for by grace that you've been saved through faith. It's it's not of yourself. It's a gift of not by works so that no one can boast. And, and, and it's my prayer that, that we understand this and we're faithful to, to, to follow what Joe, the song that Joe wrote for us. That let's, let's get up. Let, let's, get, let's get off our rear as a Christian and, and let's, let's go into the world because the light has come and the light is in us and, and God is working through us and the world needs Jesus. And this virgin birth describes this idea that, look, Salvation is so big. Our sin is so devastating for us that it took a miracle for God to fix it. It took God himself to have to come here himself and fix it. You see, the virgin birth, it makes sense. It's, it, it, when you think about why Jesus had to be born of a virgin, because it was the perfect way to unite God's divinity with his humanity. Because you know, we see, we understand Jesus, who was he? He was God with skin. He was fully God and fully man at the same time. This is an important concept. The virgin birth is, is a perfect execution of, of God's plan because he unites his divinity with, with humanity. And it's interesting, I, I, Wayne Grudem is a theologian. You ought, to, you ought to get his book called Systematic Theology. It's a really good book by Wayne Grudem. It's really thick, and you, uh, you need to read it as a reference book, and you can look. You don't read it front to back. Well, you can, I guess, but it'll take you a long time and mess with your head a little bit. But, but, but you ought you to get that book, Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology. Here's what he says about the virgin birth. He says, we think for a moment of other possible ways that Christ might have come to earth. None would so clearly unite human deity and humanity in one person. Of course, it would have been possible for God to create Jesus as a complete human being in heaven and send him to descend from heaven to earth without the benefit of any human parent. But then it would have been very hard for us to see how Jesus could be fully human as we are nor would he be a part of the human race that physically descended from Adam. So for what, what Grudem says is if Jesus, if God would have just said, I'm going to send Jesus as, I mean, he's just going to show up and not be born of a virgin, it would be hard for us to relate to his, to his humanity. We wouldn't be able to see this. And, 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 you know, it's interesting how you see in the virgin birth, God unites humanity and deity together and 
And in the person of Jesus, we see, we see God in the flesh as fully God and fully man. And that's important to understand. When I look at, the, at how much God loves us, that God would come here and live among us. And I, I don't think we fully grasp this, and I don't think we will until we get to heaven. And there's going to be a day that we stand before the Lord. You know that, right? All of us will walk through that door called death. Even though, our med- even though we think, man, death's not going to come to me, we're going to all walk through that door. And when we do and we see God face to face, I think we're going to go, wow, God, you really loved me that you would become sin for me. And I think that's when John 3.16 will come alive for us, that we'll understand, for God so loved the world that you gave your only son. And I pray that you're among one of those that say, Lord, I believe in you. Because he says, whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And folks, the reason this whole Season is important. The reason we need to see this puzzle come together is because the world desperately needs to know Jesus. And you know what I see our world doing is moving further and further away from God. And he's called us to live at this time, to stand in front of a world that is rapidly moving away from God and say, hey, wait a minute. Stop. A Savior came. And it's incredible. And i got to wrap up today, but last thing I want to say about this virgin birth, it's so fascinating because, and I, and I want to challenge you to think about this, and I want you to read, I want to challenge you to give you a little homework assignment today. Go to Romans 5. And I want you to think about Romans 5 and Adam. And, and do you know, because the virgin birth took place, do you know the virgin birth was the only possible way to destroy the stronghold of our inherited sin? You know that Adam sinned? Romans 5 talks about this truth that, that we as men, we inherited a sinful nature from Adam. And, and you know, it, it goes against Oprah and all her... Uh, Ideas that, that mankind has been born good. Do you know that when we were born, none of us were born good? I mean, if you raise children, don't you know that he, you're like, I get this. I mean, all, how many of us as parents are looking at our kids going, come out? You know, I mean, I mean, we look at our children and we can see the natural child is, is selfish and self-focused. And, and, and see, we inherited this from Adam. And see, the miracle of Jesus coming here is that God came to rescue us from ourselves, from our sin. And one of my friends who's a pastor in Tulsa, I've got this quote up. I want you to see it. He, Darren Spoo wrote a book called The Good Book. It's a, it's a good book. You ought to get it. But he wrote this book, and I, I, I texted him this week and said, hey, I'm quoting you today, and I'm going to give you credit. But, but he wrote about, about God's grace and, and, and he says God's grace is God's decision to outlast our every attempt to avoid him, to outdistance our attempts to run from him, and to outweigh our stubbornness in resisting him. 
God's grace doesn't merely offer to make us better. It promises to make us new. And folks, I got to, I, this is why we've got to understand this puzzle. Because we live in a world of people that say, you know what, I've tried Jesus and it just didn't work for me. Can I tell you that salvation, experiencing faith in Christ, is not giving Jesus a try. In our next service, we're baptizing three people. One of those is a college student that came to my office and said, look, I grew up in this church, but I've, and I walked an aisle, but I've never really surrendered to Jesus. And see, salvation is like, Lord, I, I give you my life. I, 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 I surrender to you. I, I, I trust you. I, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you everything. I, I, I surrender to your call. And see, we've got to put this puzzle together. Because we, we have people that we know that are, folks, they're, they're without Christ. They have no hope. And it's my prayer that we recognize that God has done something supernatural for us. Because why did, what did, what did the angel say in the dream to, to, to Joseph? He's coming to save people from their sins. Can I just ask you this question? Have you been saved? Have you been like Colin who been here a long time. But, but let's be honest, you've never trusted Christ. Would you do that? Do you see him today? If, and, and here's, how do you know you need to do that? Because you, you just know. You just know. Colin said, how do I know if I really need to be saved? I go, well, ask God. He'll tell you. And he goes, I need to be saved right now. And so right up in my office, he prayed and got saved. I said, hey, you want to be baptized on, on the 16th? He's like, yes, I do. Yes, I do. You know Jesus. The puzzle came together perfectly. And he did that for you. Because he loves you. And he came to rescue you and not leave you with your inherited sin and leave you like you were born. He came to change you. Would you come to him today?